Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. Just seeing if you're awake. If you fall asleep during this, it's okay. It's going to get pretty deep here in a minute. Conflict. We have all lived in a time of conflict at one time or another, right? Okay. I mean, we don't always agree with somebody or something all the time. Sometimes we go as far as taking our talking to those we don't agree with and not talking to them afterwards. Or even go where we decide to never associate with them ever again. But this doesn't happen in church, does it? (laughs) In a group of people crossing a bridge, a man came to another man who was leaning over the rail, overlooking the flooded river. So he decided to ask him some questions. Are you a Christian? Or a non-Christian, he said. The other man says, I am a Christian. Me too, small world. Protestant or Catholic? He answered, Protestant. Me too, what denomination? He replied, Baptist. Me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? (laughs) To which the man said, Northern Baptist? Well, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? (laughs) He smiled and he said, Northern conservative Baptist. Well, that's amazing. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist or Northern conservative reformed Baptist? (laughs) Pause for a moment and he said confidently, Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist. Remarkable, the man said. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative (laughs) Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region? He eagerly eagerly answered, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. That's a miracle. Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? (laughs) Or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He boldly, exasperated, said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. To which the first man replied, Die, heretic, and he pushed him off in the road. (laughs) So, how can we agree to disagree? It's been a few years since Jesus died and rose again. Some zealous Jewish Christians from Jerusalem made a trip to Antioch and began to preach among the Gentiles, Gentile Christians. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Acts 15.1. We heard that before. This doesn't go over well with Paul and Barnabas. In fact, we can judge from Paul's attitude in his letter to the Galatians that uh, the controversy was red hot. We'll take a look at what it means to be Unified, even with conflict. But this will need someone or someone with a level head and knowledge to help. First, let's pray.
Father, Lord, thank you again for this time together. We thank you for all that you've done for us and continue to do for us, regardless of who we say we are. Thank you for the lights there, Lord, and thank you so much for what you provide when it comes to your word. We thank you for allowing us to pray for one another, those who aren't here today, whether they're sick or just needed some rest. Lord, we thank you for, again, the privilege to, uh, to love one another as you've asked us to do so. And Lord, we just thank you for what you have in store for us, everything that we do, everything that we say, that we praise you and honor you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we need to seek experience to help with conflict. I think I've said this before. Going back to verse 12 in Acts 15, it says that Peter spoke. Paul and Barnabas gave their own experience of how God had worked among the Gentiles, which reinforced the fact that God had blessed the ministry to those who were not Jews. Again, God used the experience of two mature believers to help with the early church throughout this conflict. Likewise, God has given us people who are mature that we should be listening to, not me. Go back to the story of the men who ultimately disagreed on their church background, the issue that they had. I'm sure there had been at least one or two voices of reason there that were trying to remind them just how trivial that was, how insignificant this issue was. We need to be able to look around and to realize that there are spiritual and mature people who can help us through times of conflict. Proverbs 13.10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised wisdom. By following the advice of those who are spiritually, spiritually mature, we can avoid pride that often results in the kind of harmful conflicts or conflict that causes division or a shove off a bridge. So how do we recognize who is spiritually mature? Is someone who spiritually mature because they have been going to church all their life? Nah. Not necessarily. The benchmark of maturity are much deeper than that. Someone is mature if they have been walking with the Lord. Someone is mature if they are being led by the Holy Spirit. And they are mature if, they, if the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their lives. And in the next few verses, what we'll be looking at, we'll see other signs of, of spiritual maturity. We can know that a decision is coming from a spiritual mature person when those decisions are made based on God's word. Starting with verse 13. After they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them people for his name. And with this, the word of the prophets agreed, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins 
and I will set it up. So the rest of the mankind may seek the Lord, even, even all the Gentiles who are called by his name or by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Peter, Paul, and Barnabas had just given testimony of what their experience has been. But, by, but now James gets up, to, up and quotes this prophecy from the book of Amos. In doing so, James turned turn to God's word as the ultimate test of truth. This should be the way we evaluate events and what we all believe. We all have experiences, and the tendency is for us to want to measure others by our own yardstick. It's common for believers to think that their experience and their convictions are true and should be the norm. Different ideas and our thought to be inferior or invalid. Ultimately, though, what matters is what God's Word says. The more we know God's Word, the more we read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it, the better we'll be able to discern what is right. And in best of times, of course, the controversy of disagreement is easy to discern. So, right away, there's already a conflict. So what happened? The church decides to send Paul and Barnabas to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem to see if there's a doctrinal unity can be achieved. Luke records four phases of controversy in Jerusalem. When we look back in verse 5, he tells us uh, that the Christian Pharisee said, Gentiles must be circumcised. We learn that. In verses 7 through 11, he tells us what Peter said back at Cornelius' house. God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, but gave them the Holy Spirit and cleanse their hearts by faith. Both Jew and Gentile are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Going to verse 12, he tells us how God had done signs and wonders among the Gentiles through the hands of Paul and Barnabas. Now we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21 and how James gave the, gave the concluding resolution that uh, they talked about the whole time. So... There was a conflict, and now someone has an argument. When I first looked at these verses a long time ago, I kind of skimmed over them. Years passed, and now I kind of had to study them or to stand up here. Funny how you can read something, especially Scripture, and the first time you don't see anything. But when you take, a, take the time to study and meditate on them, they seem to tell you something altogether new. It's James's argument from the prophets that I want us to look at. James says, verse 14, Simeon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them for his name, and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this I will return and I will re- rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up. So, the question goes, what does Scripture tell us? And why is it there? 
I have at least four, maybe five questions about this. Question one would be, what is this quotation of the Old Testament prophets intended to support? Why is it brought in? Question two is, what does this prophecy mean in its Old Testament context? Amos 9. I didn't have these written down in your uh, outlines. I just wanted to read them and see how much you're paying attention. How does this prophetic word support what James is trying to say? And question four, what does it have to say about who we are at Silver Lake and why we are here? So, the first one, what is the, this quotation from the Old Testament prophets intended to support? Why is it brought in? The answer is given in verse 14 and 15. Verse 15 says, And with this word of the prophets agree. And then James quotes the prophecy. So, so James, wants to show, James wants to show what he has just said is in agreement with prophecy. This word, the word this, the prophets agree. So what does this refer to? What does the prophets agree with? This refers back, the word this, refers back to what the prophet what he had just said in verse 14, namely, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. With this, the word, the words of the prophets agreed. So again, what is it that James wants to support with this prophetic scripture? He wants, us to, he wants to support the fact that in the ministry of Peter, God himself visited the Gentiles and by his own initiative, took out of them a people for his name. God himself did the visiting and took people for himself. The people he visited were uncircumcised Gentiles. And the instrument he used was to, to take them was a minister of the church. For James, though, those were the decisive truths that settled the issue for him of whether uncircumcised Gentiles could be accepted into the people, into, into God's people or not. So, could these truths be supported from prophetic scripture? James clearly believes that they can. He gives us a loose rendering of uh, Amos, for, uh, verse, uh, Amos 9, verses 11 through 12. 11 says, On that day I will raise up a tabernacle of David on which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. But notice he doesn't claim to be quoting Amos. He says in verse 15, with this the words of the prophets agree. He uses the words of Amos to say what he believes all prophets taught to one degree or another. So when we look at it, we must study the Bible when we read it. We actually have to study when we read it. When we read the Word, we need to see what what was being said and why. God has it in there for a reason. It's us to find out. So again, going back to what, what does this prophecy that James cites in Acts 15 mean in its Old Testament context? 
So let's look at Amos 9. We're going to start with verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. So what is God doing there? God is prophesying judgment upon his own people. Verse 9, For surely I will command and I will and will sift the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my, sin, sinners of my people shall die by the sword. Who say the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us? So, as we go on in verse 11, it says, On the day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. So now we're getting into the meat of that. Now what is God saying here through his prophet Amos? He is saying that the time is coming when his anger will be turned away and that the ruined people will be raised. It's people, you and me, that he had been talking about in the preceding verses. All the sinners of, the, of my people shall die by the sword, in verse 10 he said. And it's the people that he has in mind, in verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Eden. <clears throat> so I conclude at least what I thought, <laughs> that the repairing of the, both the, the, uh, the, the tent of David is a, a way of speaking to the people, restoration. I'm going to repair something. I'm going to put it back together. It is the people who have fallen into the ruin of sin and judgment. Now it is the people who will be repaired and be rebuilt. So then in verse 12, the purpose of that rebuilding in Edom, the typical hostile Gentile nation might be possessing, possessed by the new rebuilt people of God. So at first it might sound like defeat and subjugation. But it's, we look at, if we look at that, the purpose of rebuilding and, rebuild, uh, and repairing the sinful people is not merely to possess the, the remnant of what's left of Edom, but to possess all the nations who are called by his name. In defeat, we were in view. In defeat, were view. We would not say that the target is the nation called by God. These are not enemies. People called by God's name are God's people. So this point in the text is not to defeat and enslave, but to get the the congregation, get the people together in gathering. This is the world mission. Not, not a world of domin- not a mission of domination. And just like James says, this is not unique in Amos either. He said in Isaiah eleven verse ten says, "And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious." Zechariah two eleven also says. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day that they shall become my people and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. 
So the answer to that second question is that the prophecy James cites means that there is a day coming when God will return in favor to his people, repair them, and rebuild them, and make them a means to gather in all the nations who are called by his name. That's what the word says, and that's why it's there. Part of that is when, when reading the Bible, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture and see what is said and see why it's in other places. It's important. It's important to compare Scripture with Scripture so that we can get the context, but also helps to memorize it and recall it when it's needed. In this case, it helps to reinforce the message and, an ar- and his argument. So how does this prophetic question quotation, excuse me, support what James is trying to say. James' words to the council in Jerusalem are summed up like this. Through the ministry of Peter, God himself visited the uncircumcised Gentiles and took out of them a people for his name. So, reading into it and studying it and thinking about it and trying to figure out what what in the world he's saying, does the quotation from Amos agree with this if we let the Old Testament context be our guide it does but again comparing scripture with scripture Romans 15 7 through 12 says therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to you, sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with with his people. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and who, and he who shall raise and reign over the Gentiles, in him Gentiles shall have hope. Bless you. Jesus came into the world and began to gather a, a true believing remnant of Israel. First there were 12 apostles. Then there were 5,000 converts in Jerusalem. And so it spread as God began to fulfill his promises to rebuild the dwelling of David and repair the ruins of his people. Then James goes on in verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. James says the purpose of these rebuilt ruins was to hoard the blessings of God was not to do that, but to make a way for the rest of man to seek the Lord, specifically all the Gentiles who are called by his name. So here's what James is saying. Peter is part of the rebuilding ruins of the people of God. And right in line with prophetic scripture, he did not hoard the blessing of salvation. And he became the instrument by which God himself visited the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. And though this human instrument 
and his, this divine visitation of God took out from them Gentile people for his own name. So going to the answer of question three is that the quotation of Amos says, hits the nail right on the head for me. But it's hard to say when you're up here and you're talking about it and people are like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, that's the point, is get into the scripture. Read it. Read it again. Because it's going to start to mean something to you when you're seeking it. The Bible does help with our identity and purpose. So what does, the, what does it have to say when, about who we are and why we are here? The answer here is very simple. We are the ruins in the process of being repaired and rebuilt by grace and the grace of God. We are here that the rest of men may seek the Lord, all the Gentiles who are called by his name. That's why we're here. But, of course, somebody may ask, if you're paying attention... Well, didn't you just simply imply that the rebuilt ruins of the dwelling of David were the converted Jews, like Peter, and not the Gentiles like us? The answer is yes. That is the way the rebuilding starts. But just as soon as the rebuilt dwelling begins to fulfill its destiny, described in verse 17, and the Gentiles start to be gathered in, they too become part of the rebuilding, rebuilt ruins. This is what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20, when he said to the converted Gentiles, You and me, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, now it starts to all make sense. Maybe. So let me give that answer again. Who are we here at Silver Lake? We are ruins. We need to persuade, or pause there, persuade. We need to pause there for and let that sink in for a little bit. We are ruins. In the process of being rebuilt and repaired by the grace of God. And why are we here? Besides listening to me talk. The logic of verse 17 is unmistakable. It begins with the glorious little words, that or in that. We are here that the rest of men may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by his name. So how does this help? The Bible, in reading it, allows us to apply scripture to our lives. Let us be encouraged. Mightily encouraged. That the times of tearing down are over and that we live in a day of divine rebuilding. Let it sink into your mind that we live in a day where God's purpose is to rebuild the ruins of his people. Specifically, let it be an encouragement in your life when you still feel very much ruined and fallen and broken down like the tent in the wilderness. Preach to yourself from this text that today is the day of repair and a day of rebuilding. God will be revealed in prophetic scripture and reaffirmed in the apolistic word. That's hard to say. <laughs> it meant something in my head when I wrote it. Is that we languish in ruin and despair 
No longer. He is eager to rebuild the ruins of our lives, whatever they may be. And let this be an encouragement to pray for the church across this city, across the Puget Sound, across the nation and around the world of how grievous it is to hear about the weakness of the leadership in the church. And around the world, this does not help when God isn't spoken about or to those who need to hear it. This is a time for lifting up what has fallen and rebuilding its ruins. And so God has given us strong encouragement in this text to pray and work for the awakening and deepening of and strengthening of God's church around the world and for a new day of power. But power for what? That leads to the next application, really. If God is rebuilding the ruins of his people that the rest of men may seek the Lord, if, as verse 17 says, that God's purpose for rebuilding the ruins of his church, then let us be perfectly honest with ourselves. We will only experience the ongoing blessings of God if, devo- if we devote ourselves to helping the rest of mankind find the Lord. If I've been anywhere near on the right track (laughs) here, we know who we are. And we are here, why we are here in Silver Lake. That says it right there. And we are here, the rest of men may seek the Lord and even all the Gentiles who are called by his name. So when we do this, do we do this lightly or do we take it by the reins? A circuit-riding preacher entered one church building with his young son and dropped a coin into the offering box way in the back. Not many came that Sunday, and those who did didn't seem too excited about what was said. After the service, the preacher and the son walked back, walked to the back, and he emptied the box. Out fell that one coin. The young boy said to his dad, Dad, If you had put more into it, you would have gotten more out. The same is true for us. If we put great effort into our reading and studying of the Bible, then we will get more out of it. We We must know Scripture, seek His Spirit in doing so, and allow His Spirit to work in us. This will help us work through disagreements in a constructive way. But another concern when it comes to disputes is that we must be aware of and the sensitivity of others. We can't literally go thumping somebody over the head with the Bible. We want to, but we can't. Verse 19 says, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had, has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So James concluded here his speech by talking about the need for the Gentile believers to refrain from things that may make the Jewish believers squeamish. He tells them to abstain from eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. 
from eating the blood of the animals from, and from eating the meat from an animal that had been strangled. The Jews believed that one's life was in the blood, and by strangling an animal, you were not allowing the blood to drain out, and so it was life still present in the body. None of the dietary regulations had anything to do with the new faith that Gentiles were accepting, but rather they were given out of the sense of sensitivity to the Jewish believers. Even though the new believers were not under the law and were free to eat whatever they pleased, they were still asked to refrain from these things so as not to offend the consciences of the Jews. This is another reason why we need to learn in dealing with our disagreement. So often we get focused on our own needs and desires that we're unable to see the things from other people's perspectives. This refusal to, to consider other, others often may cause or cause our disagreements to escalate into unhealthy conflict because others, others sense that they are not cared about. Our human tendency is to be self-centered. But we as believers have been called to be imitators of Christ. When we do so, we become tolerant, understanding, and accepting. However, such tolerance isn't meant to include sinful lifestyles. James mentions these guidelines for the new believers to keep with an understanding that basic morality and living for God would cover the rest. When believers are able to overlook their differences and come together in love and worship of the Savior, nothing gives greater glory to God or provides more compelling witness. So in conclusion, probably saying thank goodness, I couldn't help but think as I was studying in this passage that with this dispute, would it, what would it have looked like today? Had it happened today, what would it look like? My, my guess is once it was talked about, rather than patiently working through it as these early believers did, today we would, be, would have simply started a new church, a new denominations, or left this church for some other reason. <laughs> so we can go our separate ways and worship God as we saw fit. Problem is, is that's what the American church has been doing for years and years. And it hasn't worked. We all have these different, different churches and denominations. And for what? So that we could categorize ourselves? Yes, I realize that there are probably some cases where dividing was the right choice. But in most cases, I would venture to say that these divisions have come about because the church has not followed the principles we see here in this passage. We have fought over things that don't matter. We haven't heeded the wise counsel. We haven't based our decisions on God's word. And we haven't been sensitive to the needs of others. At the root of these tendencies, the sin of pride and prejudice, the more we understand the gospel and embrace God's version of the body of Christ. However, more we, the more we begin to change 
our ways of thinking and our differences, we'll be able to get along. But it really only starts one place, and that is the God, God's Word. We can have opinions. We can have a desire for the way the church runs. But the thing is, is that's an earthly thought. God's the only one who directs us. God's the only one who gives us the, the reason for even being here. He died for us. And he lived for us so that we can have his spirit. We're given a choice each and every day when it comes to our conflicts. We're going to put up our walls and we're going to fight or we're going to sit down and talk. I tend to want to fight. But then something stirs inside of me. I believe that's the Holy Spirit that says, you know what, Will? Today you're going to talk. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes my ears get plugged up. But that's the question is that we have to ask ourselves is when there is a true issue, and we believe we have a lot of issues when it comes to this world we live in today. What is our fight and how do we disagree but still get along with one another? We don't divide and say, I'm going to go one way or the other. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build a wall. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. But we need somebody in the, in the middle. Not somebody's God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for what you provided for us. Thank you so much for the way and the path that was laid out when it comes to your church and what you believe. Lord, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that we may believe the same. And Lord, we ask that you be with us always and not let us stray to what we believe is right and not concern you with our decisions. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the abilities to have understanding understanding and and raiment when it comes to our decisions. And God, we ask that you continue to be with us each and every day as we continue our conflict and our fight when it comes to the evils of this world and that we are able to withstand them because we know who ultimately wins. Thank you always in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.